to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room to sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, black hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more the sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as a curse is found, far as a curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love your love is unfailing lord i am grateful when i was down you brought me out and set my feet on higher ground so here i stand 
You are my God, your faithfulness, my solid rock. I give thanks for all you have done, and I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget all the battles you have won. Your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. And as we lift our hands, the heavens open, heavens open. So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. And as we lift our hands, the heavens open, heavens open. So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. Lord, we're 
Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is team. You may have a seat. Good morning. It's so great to be here this morning. Uh, thank you all for being here. Welcome. If this is your first time here this morning, uh, we're so glad to have you. There are connection cards in the back seats of all the chairs. If you would, grab one of those, fill it out for us. Um, we'd love to reach out to you this week, get to know you a little bit better. If you got any questions for us, uh, we'd like to answer those as well. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I've been fighting a cold for the past like two weeks, so you guys can keep praying for me if you want. Uh, but it's, uh, it's all good. Uh, God is in control, and it is all good this morning. Uh, this morning, we, we, are, we get to celebrate communion together as a church family. Uh, on your way in, you should have received a little communion cup. Uh, and if you didn't, just raise your hand, and we will get one to you. Uh, but this morning we wanted to celebrate and remember uh, what the Lord has done for us. Uh, the Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Dear Lord, as we eat this bread in remembrance of you, Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of your body on the cross for our sins. Lord, we do not deserve it, yet you, you provided for us anyway. 
You provided hope for us in a time of hopelessness. Lord, as we take this, Lord, let us remember you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, as we drink from this cup, Lord, let us remember the blood that was shed for our sins. Lord, let us never forget what you have done for us on that hill in Calvary. Lord, we thank you for every good gift that you've given us. Lord, let us continue in a spirit of thanksgiving as we approach this Christmas season. Lord, let us set our sights upon you. Let us celebrate this time of year where you have given us the perfect gift, the gift of your son, the gift of salvation. Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. If you would, please open up in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 2 as Pastor Rory starts his series, uh, Mary's Risky Decision. Oh, gift. No, I'm, I'm so sorry. Mary's Risky Christmas. There you go. <laughs> that makes way more sense. <laughs> I'm not really sure if Pastor Nick was trying to be funny or if he really didn't know what the title was. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. That's pretty good. Let's try it again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Merry Christmas. See, I say that a lot this time of year because you sound funny if you say it in July, but uh, that's what December is for, right? So Merry Christmas or to our Spanish-speaking friends, Feliz Navidad and Dios te bendiga in Jesus' name. I forgot how to say, I know Jesus, but I forgot to say, oh, su nombre, en su nombre, su nombre, Jesus. Christo, or Chris, Christo Jesus, something like that. Anyway, I'm trying to show off right now, and I should stop. All right, but anyway, welcome. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you are with us this morning, celebrating the true reason for the season. It always is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts towards home now, and we turn our eyes towards your word, Father, we, we uh, start a series of Sundays where we are focusing you focusing on you at uh, potentially a, the, a if you had a vulnerable time it would have been this it would have been now is when you were born as a baby in a manger lord jesus it, it it blows me away father that you are the awesome supreme most high holy only god of the universe and yet you loved us so much you condensed yourself down into the form of a, of a little baby lying in a manger. So uh, helpless, needy, vulnerable, dependent, Father, and, and yet you are the great, most high, awesome God of the universe, given yourself to come to die to save us from our sins. And so, Father, as your word says that you came as a great light 
to people who were walking in darkness, Father, and that they saw this great light, and yet they did not understand it. Father, at the darkest time of the year where we are at right now, and Father, with people around us that are so walking in darkness, Father, we pray that the light of your love would so shine in our lives that we would be children of God who walk in the light of God, and then your light would shine so through us, Father, that your presence would simply illuminate through our very beings, and so that the light of your love would shine through us to the people around us who are walking in darkness, that they would see a great light. And that certainly is not us, but that is certainly you in us, the hope of glory. And so, Father, as we begin to look at a series of messages that focus on you at Christmas time, I simply ask you, Lord, to anoint my lips to preach, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive everything that you have for us now. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. And everybody said, I love Christmas time. I absolutely love Christmas time. It is my, probably my, my somewhat emotional favorite time of the year because it's the happiest time of the year. Easter and Good Friday is probably for me a very dramatic time of the year where I slow down and I pause and, and I ponder and I kind of chew on the significance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, but this time of year, I just get so happy and so festive because I love Christmas time. I love everything about Christmas. I, I, I told Karen the other day, I even like going through shopping malls at Christmas time, especially after last year with COVID and every, all of that was going on. I, I, we were going through the mall. Uh, I went through the mall with, with Karen and the girls, and then I went through the mall again with Mariah the other day, and we were going, and it was great seeing so many people out. And so many people shopping and the Christmas music playing and stuff. I love Christmas music. Um, oh, Holy Night and the First Noel and all those songs. I got them playing in my office this morning and got them playing in the car. And we wake up to them on the fish radio every morning and stuff. It is just great. And I, and I love like the, the, the symphonic concert that we had here uh, yesterday afternoon, the Snowbelt Symphony Orchestra, the Holiday Pops concert uh, under Greg Hillis's direction and stuff. We had a 65 person. If you weren't here, we had a 65-piece orchestra here yesterday, and we had 372 people here uh, yesterday who came out for the concert. And we turned, the, turned the, the, the room sideways, so to speak, and the stage was over there, and the chairs were out this way, and, and they did all of, the, all of our favorite Christmas classic carols and songs and stuff like that. They did an, an awesome job. And I, I love the movies about Christmas. I love White Christmas and Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby, um, Christmas in Connecticut, all of the all of the traditional things about Christmas, I I just love, and and I love the the lights of Christmas. I love driving around and going through those professional light shows, but even driving around neighborhoods and seeing how everybody's houses are lit up with lights and stuff like that and the Christmas decorations. Um, and by the way, Sarah and Brittany did an awesome job uh, working uh, decorating the stage for Christmas this year. Amen. Awesome job. 
and all the, the, the twinkly lights and everything. Um, that actually is supposed to be static and solid, uh, but uh, between the services, we're going to get somebody in here who knows how to get it back to static and solid. So, uh, so I hope it's not too much of a distraction for you. If I was out there, I'd love it because I like the little twinkly lights that, that move and stuff like that uh, during Christmas time. And then, of course, I like the calmness of the nativity story. Um, and I especially love Linus's part in a Charlie Brown's Christmas when he tells the nativity story out of Luke chapter 2 and everything. Um, th there's something about the nativity story that just seems like it brings everything, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, right? I wish I could have had that last night. For those of you who may not know, we have a new puppy. Um, at the at the Gruder's household, and and I am convinced that uh, that sometimes I think Satan works through new puppies in in a pastor's home, because Kevin didn't want to sleep much last night. He was up quite a bit last night, so uh, this morning I'm I'm fueled on the Lord Jesus Christ anointing and on coffee right now. So, but but uh, but I like the idea of the nativity story. It's calm and it's bright and everything, but. I don't want to focus on, on that, those aspects of Christmas this morning. Every now and then I get to thinking of kind of like the flip side of the coin of the nativity story. Because we look at that and we go, oh, it was calm, it was bright, and we just seem to go from Gabriel and Mary, and we just kind of go to the barn in Bethlehem where Jesus is born and all that stuff. And I think to myself, what, a, what kind of an oxymoron the nativity story is. Because it, it really wasn't as calm back in the day as what we remember it and what we think it is when we read the nativity story in the gospel. It was a little bit actually the polar opposite of that. What I want to focus on today as, as we get into this, the messages on Christmas is going to sound a little odd and ironic, but I want us to, to focus on today the riskiness of Mary's Christmas. Because Mary really did take a big risk when she said, I am the Lord's servant, let it be done to me as you have said. Because what she was agreeing to, she was agreeing to become an unwed, pregnant teenage mother before she became a wife. It's incredibly risky in, in lots of cultures, but especially in a shame-based Middle Eastern culture, like her culture that she lived in was back in the day. I, I, I honestly, I think to myself, we have Christmas today and we have salvation today because of the risks that Mary took to work with God on that first Christmas. You know, I think throughout the Bible how God works with people who have what I call risky faith. They have risk-taking faith. They have so much faith and trust in God, they're willing to risk things in their lives to be able to work with God, and better way of saying it is to allow God to work through them to do amazing, miraculous things around them. And of all the people that God worked with in the Bible, I think none were riskier than Mary because she was just a teenage girl, 14 to 17 years old, Luke chapter 1 tells us, and, and I know back in that culture, it was normal for them, but let's, let's look at it from our culture back to that culture. She was a 14 to 17-year-old girl engaged to be married to a guy somewhere in his 30s to maybe 40. And it was an absolutely arranged marriage because that's how they did it back in the day. 
And according to John chapter 2, weddings, Jewish weddings, were really big deals back in the day. They would go on sometimes for a couple of days, the ceremony, the reception, the festivities, the fun, all of that stuff. And, and this is when Mary was engaged to Joseph and all the plans were made and they were waiting for the wedding day to come and all that sort of thing. She's a 14 to 17-year-old young woman engaged to marry a guy when all of a sudden an angel Gabriel comes to her and he upsets the apple cart. He flips everything either upside down or right side up depending upon how you look at things. And he says, Greetings, Mary. You are highly favored of God. God wants to overshadow you with his presence and his Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be, you will name him Jesus and he will be known as the Son of God. She is un, un, unwed at this part of her life. She is engaged to a guy at this part of her life and she says, how can this happen to me? And Gabriel explains to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be with child. You will give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Even right now, Gabriel goes on to say, your elderly cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant with who became John the Baptist. And so Mary is probably thinking, wow, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're really old. They're way beyond childbearing years. And now this appearance of an angel in front of me, Gabriel, is telling me what's happening to Elizabeth and, 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 and wants, wants the, the same thing, similar thing to happen to me. Mary, this 14 to 17-year-old girl, has this incredible risky faith and trust in God. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me as you have said. And in that moment in time, she laid it all on the line. In that moment in time, she risked it all. She risked reputation, her public reputation, and, and, and even potential relationships with her family, with her friends, with, with her in, engaged husband-to-be. With her entire community, she risked it all. And so, Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 1 that Mary, after that epiphany happened to her, she got packed up and everything, and she ran off to be with Elizabeth. It said she went from Nazareth to the hill country. Now, the hill country is, is nondescript, but let's say the hill country could even include Bethlehem, because it does include Bethlehem on the southwest uh, part of Jerusalem. It's, a, it's about a, a two-and-a-half-mile drive, about, or two-and-a-half-hour drive, about 90 minutes or about a day-and-a-half walk if you're walking there. So let's say she went to that part of the hill country. Let's say it was Bethlehem. We don't know that it was, but let's just say that it was. And so she goes and she sees Elizabeth and Zechariah in the hill country. And Scripture says she stays there with Elizabeth for three months. And when she's there, it says that Elizabeth somehow knows that Mary is already pregnant because Elizabeth says that the baby inside of me leapt when he heard your voice and how is it that I am so honored that I am standing in the prayer, I am visited by the mother of the one who is going to give birth to us, who is going to take away our sins. Very miraculous things that are going on here. And so Mary stays with Elizabeth 
who's in her sixth month for three months. So presumably by the time Mary gets back to Nazareth, which is where her and Joseph are from, Mary tells Joseph. So potentially Mary is already three months pregnant when she tells her husband Joseph. And in telling him, and obviously she has to tell him, she cannot not tell him, he's going to notice pretty soon if he doesn't already. You know, in her three months in her first trimester, maybe she's starting to get a baby bump there or something. But she tells Joseph, and she risks it all by telling Joseph. She risks her potential marriage, her relationships with her in-laws and with her own family, and her potential reputation in the community. Because to, to be pregnant outside of marriage in a shame-based culture is a very high offense. That could come with shaming, shaming or shunning, ostracizing from friends, family, and the community, or even worse than that. But Mary has this great risk-taking faith and trust in God, and she risks it all, and she tells Joseph what happened. Now, you're Joseph. And this young woman that you are engaged to be married to in an arranged marriage, your family and her family have made this arrangement all of a sudden, this young woman that you are just enthralled with, in love with, I, I hope Joseph was like that. I'm sure he was. You look at her, and you notice a baby bump. You notice that she's changed since the last time you saw her. She's, she's now sick in the morning. And you can't explain why is she throwing up so much and everything. And maybe you ask her, Mary, what's going on? Or maybe she says to you, Joseph, you're probably going to notice that some things have changed in me. Yeah, I'm, I'm pregnant, Joseph. But it's okay. It's of the Holy Spirit of God. The Lord came to me, the angel Gabriel, and he told me what was going to happen, that God wanted to conceive in me a child. We're going to name him Jesus and give birth to him. He's going to be called the Son of God. He's going to save all of us from our sins. So it's okay, Joseph. I'm not pregnant by another man. I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit of Yahweh, of Jehovah. It's an immaculate conception, Joseph. So it's okay. Would you buy that? Would you believe that? Joseph didn't believe that. You go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, and it tells us that Joseph, when he found out about Mary, that she was pregnant and everything, and maybe she told him that kind of a story, it says he was considering how to divorce her privately. That was his first thought. So he didn't believe what she said. She risked it all. And so he was considering how to divorce her privately, but here comes an angel of the Lord. It's probably Gabriel. It's an unnamed angel. But Gabriel is the guy going around talking to Zechariah about Elizabeth. He went to Mary to talk about Mary. So I'm going to presume it is Gabby Gabe came, the angel came and talked to Joseph as well. He said, Joseph, don't worry about it. Everything Mary told you is true. She is going to, she is with child right now. She is going to give birth to a son. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so we're, we're told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, that Joseph went from deciding how to get rid of her privately, how to, how to, how to uh, divorce her privately rather than publicly, because if he divorces her publicly, he has to take her out into the town square 
and he has to, in front of a bunch of people, shout at her three times, I divorce you! I divorce you! I divorce you! And maybe he says why, maybe he doesn't say why. You don't have to say why, but you could say why. And he would probably divorce her for marital infidelity and bring shame upon her, embarrassment and shame upon him, shame upon her family. But Joseph, while he was thinking about doing that, the angel Gabriel changes his mind. And so in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 1, Joseph takes Mary home to be his wife. So presumably, they got married. So now Joseph's in on this, this risky business thing, right? But it, it pauses, and it, and it makes me ask a couple of questions here. I'm a person who asks a lot of questions. <clears throat> and it makes me ask some questions here. How much time passed between when Mary was three months pregnant and when they got married. Was it right away? I mean, we, we imagine it was right away, but maybe it was a, a couple of days. Maybe it was a week. It doesn't tell us how long Joseph was thinking about how to divorce her privately. So how much time has passed between when Mary uh, conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, she was three months pregnant, to when they got married? And what did she look like when they got married? Did she have a baby bump going on or, or what? And was it a private wedding or a public wedding? I tend to think it was kind of a private wedding because public weddings in John chapter 2, really big deals, right? And maybe just private family weddings are kind of a, a, a big deal, right? As far as people attending and stuff. I, I can't imagine them just going off to the justice of the peace and getting married that way, not in a Jewish culture. Both families, at least, would want to be involved. So were the families there at that private wedding? And did their change of plans cause any people to think why and what's going on? I mean, they had a wedding date, and I suspect they had to move that wedding date up from what they originally had planned. And so when they moved the wedding date up and they started calling everybody around uh, Nazareth and stuff, hey, we're going to get married this weekend. <laughs> we're getting married Sunday at New Promise Church in the afternoon right after the second morning service. And they're like, okay, we want you to come. Okay, and they started thinking, I wonder why all of a sudden are they moving the date up of the wedding so much, right? Because now this is becoming public information. And I wonder if there were people at even that small private wedding who started doing the math. Because there's always people there who are thinking, going, hey, wait a second, why are they moving the date up? What happened? What circumstances are going on? And so maybe they're looking at Mary, and if she's starting to show even a little bit, there's always people there at those types of weddings that are starting to do the math in their head. While they're doing the vows and everything with the pastor, there are people out there in the pews going, hey, hang on, they're getting married today. She's looking a little bit like this, and they're counting backwards the number of weeks or months or whatever. I wonder if anybody was doing the math and trying to figure out exactly what was the reason for moving the date up. And the last question that I, I think to myself is, did Mary and Joseph, because she was probably starting to show, even a little bit at this time, did Mary and Joseph try and explain this to anybody else in their families? Did they were, were they going around trying to explain what immaculate conception is? Were they looking for Catholics in the crowd? You know, can we find any Catholics here at this wedding who will understand what immaculate conception is? Were they trying to explain to other people what Mary had explained to Joseph, what the angel Gabriel confirmed to Joseph that the angel Gabriel first explained to Mary. What a risk going on here in this first Christmas. This was all very risky business. 
Because the more people that find out, the more people that start doing the math, the more potential there is for accusations of guilt and shame for fornication and adultery, getting pregnant before you got married. Remember, this was back in the days of, of a shame-based culture, which is now what we are. We're a legal-based culture, but a shame-based culture is when you're shamed for doing something shameful, and what comes right after shame is being shunned. And shunned is being ostracized from family, from friends, from your community, or even worse than that if you go back to the Old Testament Mosaic law. And now Joseph is in on this too, which means Joseph either, either has to keep playing along, or now he's got to turn on Mary, which he's never going to do. And so then he's got to keep walking this walk with Mary in this very risky Christmas. And so at, at some point in time, Joseph takes full advantage of a government edict. Governments are good for something, thank God. He, they can get you out of a particularly uh, sticky, social, uh, socially awkward situations in Nazareth by saying, everybody's got to go back. <coughs> Honey, can you give my coffee, please? Everybody's got to go back to their own hometown, and they have to register for this census that the governor is doing, that Caesar Augustus, rather, is doing, thank you, honey, is doing in all of Judea. And so Joseph takes opportunity to get him and Mary out of a potentially sticky situation, socially awkward situation in Nazareth, by taking him, her, with him to his ancestral hometown of Bethlehem which I said is about uh, a two-and-a-half-hour two hour drive, about 90 minutes uh, if you drive it, or about a day-and-a-half if you walk it. And there's two ways you can get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. You can go down the Jordan Valley route, or you can uh, go uh, down the, um, the, where the Gaza Strip route is uh, between um, Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. It's about a, a day-and-a-half walk there on donkey back or something like that. And so, so they go to, go to Bethlehem, which is Joseph's own hometown, or at least his ancestral hometown. And that's where we pick it up, the story, in Luke chapter 2, from verses 1 to 7. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all people would return to their hometown to register for a census. Joseph took Mary from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea, or in Judah, the town of David, because Joseph belonged to David's family line. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Oh, pause there for a second. I thought this was Joseph's hometown. Even if it's his ancestral hometown, and it's only a, a day and a half walk from Nazareth where he lived down to Bethlehem, odds are he would have gone back there more often than not. He would have gone there uh, a few times. This just wasn't just where he was born and he never went back, or his parents, grandparents were born and he never visited. He, odds are he probably would have went there uh, a, a few times. And when he got there, he... he, he uh, they had to go to a manger in a barn because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the Greek uh, word for inn is the word pandochian. And in English, it's really not like a Motel 6 or a Holiday Inn, nothing like that. Pandochian in English is more like a hostel, 
more like a, a bed and breakfast, and not even that nice, really. It's more like if you've ever stayed in a hostel. Karen and I stayed in hostels uh, when we lived up in Canada in Toronto when Mariah was going through her medical things. It's kind of like low-cost, inexpensive boarding houses that accept all kinds of people, and usually it's the worst kind of people. I mean, hostels really are places that are not safe. You don't feel safe there. Um, you, you have your own room, or maybe you're sharing a room with other people. That was an odd experience. And, and you kind of sleep with one eye open and one eye closed, just because there's like all walks of life there, and it's really a different kind of environment. And so when the time came for Mary to give birth, they went from that place to a more private place that had a little bit more space. I mean, you, you got to know how bad it was if they went out to the barn. And the barn could have been a cave, uh, because th that's where they would house animals back in the day. In that area, there are little caves that you could use as barns. And so they went out to the barn, or they went out to a cave when it came time for Jesus to be born. <clears throat> My question at this part of the story is this. When you go to your own hometown, even if, if it's ancestral, there's always somebody there that knows you. There's always people there that you know. You know, when Karen and I would go back to Winnipeg and stuff, there was always family we would run into, because that's why we would go to Winnipeg, is to visit mom and dad and, and the in-laws and, and, and the aunts, uncles, and cousins and all that stuff. But there was also other people there that we would run into all the time that Karen grew up with, and they knew us, and then they knew me when I married into the family and stuff like that. When you go back to your own hometown, even if you haven't been there for a while, there are people that know you there. This is my question about this part of the story. Why did they have to stay at an inn? Why, did, why didn't anybody have any room for them? Why didn't they stay with friends or family members? He, he would have had family back there, especially in Jewish communities. When you get to a certain age, you don't move around that much. When you're younger, you move a, a lot. You're transient. You go from apartments to houses and things like that. But when you hit to a certain age, you kind of stay put at where you are. Grandparents are like that. Why didn't he stay with his grandparents? Why didn't they stay with his parents or, or with any kind of friends or family? Uh, was Bethlehem that overcrowded, or did they forget to make reservations? I saw, I saw something on Facebook this, this week that was kind of cute, that Joseph is apologizing to Mary because they have to go into this cave, and he's saying, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry, honey, I forgot to make reservations, I'm sorry. And the bubble over Mary's head is, I'm fine, everything is fine, but it's obviously not fine, Okay. So why did they have to do what they did? Why didn't they, why couldn't they stay with friends or stay with, with family members? Is it possible that they were ostracized by, by his family? Is it possible that word got out that, hey, she got pregnant before they got married? And so, eh, we're going to keep our distance. Sorry, we don't have any room for you. We have to keep up appearances. We're Jewish or whatever, you know. We got a, the Mosaic law and everything else like that. It really makes me wonder, if they're going back to his own hometown, why did nobody have any room for two people, him and his wife, especially in a Jewish community where it's very natural that families still stick together and, and take care of one another? I mean, there were other times that Jesus would be despised and rejected by his own people as he grew up and as he did his ministry. Why not now when he's born in a barn in Bethlehem in a manger? You know, I mean, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but it just begs the question, why, why did they have to try and go to an inn where there wasn't even any room for them there uh, in an inn, in his own ancestral hometown? 
You know, in, in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' family lineage, there is a murderer, there is an adulterer, there is a prostitute. Why not just add one more thing? A faith-filled, risk-taking young woman who became a mother before she became a wife. Why not? You know, throughout the Bible, people works with people. God works with people who are so filled with such faith and trust in God that they're willing to take risks in order for God to work with them and God work through them. They will live to a calling or a cause that is greater than themselves. None more risk-taking than, than Mary. She risked it all. But because she risked it all, years later, the sick would be healed, the dead would be raised, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, 5,000 people would be miraculously fed in one sitting, 4,000 in another sitting, the tables in the temples will be, would be overturned, the world would be turned upside down or right side up, depending upon how you look at it, as heaven was revealed and sin atoned for, eternal destinies would be changed forever as the gospel is spread throughout the world and billions and billions of people come to faith in the Lord God Jesus Christ across the centuries all because of the risk-taking of Mary and Joseph at that first Christmas time. That is something to admire. That is something to be inspired by. People like Mary and Joseph, people who are the Lord's servant, are people who have risk-taking faith and trust in God. They don't stand on the sidelines where it's safe. They step up and they step out and they speak up and they say, Here I am, Lord. Use me. I am the Lord's servant. These are the people who are the real heroes of faith because they live for a divine cause and calling that is greater than themselves. And they're willing to risk it all for the sake of God's call on their lives. This, ladies and gentlemen, was Mary and Joseph. Let me ask you, this holiday season... What is God calling you to do with the Jesus you have received in your life? Similar to Mary, Colossians 1.27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. While we do not bear the physical body of Jesus in us like Mary did, we have received Jesus in order to reveal and release Jesus through us. What is God calling you to do this holiday season with the Jesus God has given you in your life? What risks are you willing to take? Risking relationships or reputation in order to reveal and release Jesus through you to the people around you. We have a Christmas today and God has taken our sins away because of Mary's risky Christmas. What are we willing to do to risk with the Jesus we have received from God in our lives? Let me say that again. What are we willing to do? What risks are we willing to take with the Jesus that we have already received from God in our lives this holiday season? Are you, like Mary, willing to say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me as you have said. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you for your word because it's a lamp unto our feet, it's a light to our path. 
And again, it, it reveals how you work with people and how you want to work with us in our lives, the way you worked with Mary and the way you worked with Joseph. You look for people who have risk-taking faith and trust in you. And you say, I want to do amazing things through you. I want to do miraculous things through you. But you can't stand on the sidelines and in, in, in the safety of things. You can't play it safe. You have to be willing to take a risk. But if we have enough faith and trust in you, then we're willing to take a risk with you so that we can reveal that which we have already received. We can reveal and release Jesus to the people around us, Father. Father, I thank you so much for Mary and Joseph. They teach us so much about what Christmas is all about. Today, it's about taking a risk. Not taking a risk of wondering what gifts should we get each other and if they will like what we give them and things like that, but taking a risk that steps up and steps out and speaks up and says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me as you have said. And, and we're going to take risks with our relationships and with our public reputations. All for the cause of revealing you and releasing you through us into the lives of people around us. Knowing, because we've already received you, that you are the greatest gift ever given, the greatest gift that could ever be received, and you are exactly what they're looking for and what they need. Father, help us to be your servants this holiday season and all year through. Help us to be willing to take risks with our reputation and with our relationships in order to release you and to reveal you to the people around us this holiday season and all year through. We pray this, Lord, in your name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. What, what risks are you willing to take to be like Mary and Joseph this holiday season? Thank you for listening this morning. And now, here's what's coming up next at New Promise Church. We are the Hillis family. I'm Greg. Amy. I'm Everett. And we've been going to, Everett's been going to New Promise uh, Church for Awana for three years, and we've been coming here on Sunday mornings for one year. I like playing with all the kids after church. Dad, that God has sent his son to, the, to be the savior of the world. I get a lot of value out of the people here and the, um, the messages. I think it's given us good wisdom to help us navigate the last year of life. This, this is, is us, us and, and we, we are NPC. NPC. Today is our Santa Meets Jesus event from 2 to 5 p.m. If you signed up to volunteer, please be there 15 minutes before your time slot. And if you didn't sign up to volunteer but still want to come and help, just see Amy Taddeo. Don't forget to bring your friends and family to this event to kick off your holiday season. Next Saturday is the Her Christmas Banquet with guest speaker Joanne Hone from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Tickets are just $15, and you can purchase them online at newpromisechurch.com forward slash her events or in person at the Welcome Center this Sunday. Joanne will also be here speaking in person for both of our Sunday services on December 12th. 
On Sunday, December 19th, the Kids Choir will be singing both of our morning services. Join us for a one-hour candlelight service from 5 to 6 p.m. on Friday, December 24th. Thank you for being here today at New Promise Church. Have a great and blessed week. Thank you for those announcements. i got a couple things to add. Uh, first off, Santa Meets Jesus is today from 2 to 5, so if you, if you know anybody that you want to invite, uh, please do so. Uh, we'd love to have them. Uh, and if you're coming and volunteering, we'd love to, if you could be here for your shift 15 to 20 minutes uh, beforehand. Uh, I talked to Amy this morning. We have had a couple volunteers uh, down with, so, with, the, not, with sickness. I don't, uh, yeah, uh, and if, if this is something that like, you, you feel like, okay, I could fill in. They have everything ready to go. We just need somebody to help with crafts. Uh, you, you just need to show up. So we need a couple extra people if you're able to stay. Uh, we would really appreciate that. Uh, that's from 2 to 5. Just see Amy after service and talk to her. She'll give you all the details. Um, thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being here this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you continue to move in this place, move through us. Lord, as we, we take what we've learned today outside uh, these walls, Lord, I pray that you give us courage, give us strength. Lord, help us to be uh, risky where we need to be risky. Uh, Lord, thank you this morning for your message, and, and we just appreciate and, and thank you for everything that you do. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Have a wonderful and blessed week.